All right, well, if you've got a Bible, we're in Matthew chapter 5 this morning. We are finishing up an eight-week series in the Beatitudes, and, uh, and we're going to close that out uh, today in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, if you've got a Bible. Let me ask you this morning, if you got up tomorrow morning and about 8 o'clock you got on I-4, um, and let's say you were, got in the westbound lane um, and you headed east, would that be a problem? That would be a problem. Maybe you've done that before. Hopefully not. I'm sure somebody has. Um, I never will forget when I was, a time when I was a much younger driver, although I'm probably not above this now, taking my sister to school uh, when I was 16 and early in the morning taking her before I went and realized at some point on the four lane that I had taken the wrong direction and, uh, and had to get off the road pretty quick. So uh, not a fun experiment there and, um, and um, you know, probably explains a lot. But anyway, <laughs> but Christians are a lot like westbound cars and eastbound lanes in this world. We are fish swimming upstream. We are going the opposite direction of the current of the world and the direction that the world is going, the opposite direction that at one time or another in our life that we were going. And as we're pursuing Christ, as we're pursuing the way of Christ, as we're pursuing the truth of Christ, while we're living in this world, from time to time, there's going to be friction. There's going to be a rub because we are a part of an upside-down kingdom, as we've talked about in this series, and we are living upside-down lives in comparison to the rest of the world. Now, really, everything's right side up for us, right? Jesus has turned our heart and our life around. We have come under the reign of Jesus, if you're a believer this morning. And, but to the, from the world's perspective, we're the ones that are backwards, we're the ones that are upside down. And, and Jesus made that very clear throughout his teachings. He taught in such a way to show us that his kingdom and his way is different than the world's way. And to the world, we're going to look backwards. We're going to look upside down. But it's because Jesus has turned us right side up. So it makes sense from time to time that there's going to be this friction. There's going to be this rub. There's going to be this conflict. At times, you're going to encounter intense traffic in your lane, so to speak, heading a different direction to you. But it's not actually because you're going the wrong way. It's because Jesus has got you going the right way now, and you're not going the way you once were. Today we're talking about persecution, the last of the eight Beatitudes. And Jesus tells us as his people to expect it, to expect it. And it makes sense. As, as Christ-centered people following Jesus in a very me-centered, meistic world, it makes sense that it, from time to time that that is going to create a problem. So look with me at Matthew chapter 10, excuse me, chapter 5, verse 10, verses 10, 11, and 12. If you don't have the scriptures with you, it should be on the screen for you this morning. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now remember, the Beatitudes are the introduction we've said to the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' way of saying, here's what life's supposed to be like in the kingdom. When you come under the reign of Jesus and you're a part of his kingdom, this is how you're supposed to live. You can read those, those chapters. And really, it's Jesus kind of interpreting the law for us and showing us how we're supposed to, to live in light of the new covenant as people who have been changed by Jesus. What does it look like to, to do these things? And the Beatitudes are like the introduction to that. And they kind of 
kind of paint a picture, a synopsis of that sermon, but also they kind of show us what the what does it look like to have a heart yielded to Jesus as king? What does that really look like? If you're really submitted to and yielded to Christ as king in your life, what kind of character does that produce? What kind of heart does that produce? And that's what you see and we've been looking at for these last seven, now eight weeks in the Beatitudes. And today we have this idea of persecution. And the interesting thing about that is the, other, the first seven are all like character driven. The poor in spirit. Those who mourn. It's, it's, it's an attitude towards sin. All those sort of things. Showing mercy. Now it's not so much about something you do or that's happening in you as much as something that's happening to you. The first seven were things that are in your life because you're pursuing Jesus. And now this is something that's in your life. It's something that's pursuing you because you're pursuing Jesus. The word persecute literally in the Greek means to pursue. And so it's, it's obviously here it's to pursue with a bad intention, an intention to stop you, to prevent you. The, at times the world or the ungodly or those that don't know Christ, those that are far from God, at times will pursue those who know Christ and who have come under his reign in such a way as to prevent them, to stop them, to sniff them out, to completely... In that, we see that happening all over the world. Let me read you some statistics from Open Doors. Open Doors is a ministry that helps educate us on things like persecution around the world. This is statistics for each month worldwide about persecution. 322 Christians are killed for their faith every month worldwide. 322 killed. In 2017, 322 a month are dying for their faith. 214 churches on average and Christian properties are destroyed. And 772 forms of violence are committed against Christians worldwide per month. Beatings, abductions, rapes, arrests, and forced marriages. Persecution is happening all over the world. And there are various ways in our own country to be persecuted as well. Not as severe as to the things that we've just read, obviously. But nevertheless, when the light of Christ shines, still today there will be some that want to turn off the light. (laughs) They'll want to cover up the light. They'll want to snuff out the light, end it. And so in this passage, Jesus kind of gives us three things we need to know about persecution that will help us in dealing with it and help us to know what our response is supposed to be to it. So the first one is the reality of persecution. Persecution is a part of the Christian life, and those who are persecuted are blessed. That's Jesus' words, not mine, okay? Jesus says you're blessed. That's the reality. If you're persecuted, when you're persecuted, rather, you are blessed. And that word we've said over the last several weeks means favored, it means fortunate, it can mean happy. It's that abiding state of all is well between you and God. It's the good life as the Bible portrays it, and it's way different than what the world says. Let me ask you, does persecution sound like a state, being that you're, if you're being persecuted, you're in a state of blessing? Most of us wouldn't think so, but remember, everything's upside down. The world says be self-sufficient. Jesus says... Blessed are the poor in spirit. The world says, blessed are you if everyone loves you and thinks well of you and says nice things about you and you fit in. And Jesus says, blessed are you the persecuted. Blessed are you when others revile you and lie and say slanderous things about you. See, when one lives poor in spirit, when we live in a mournful state of over our sin, turning from our sin, when we live meekly, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, showing mercy, being pure in heart, making peace by advancing the gospel of peace, many times persecution will pursue that person. Because, for instance, your purity of heart may remind the world of their immorality. Now, I don't mean in some condescending way like you're some goody-two-shoes that is like flaunting your 
moralistic, you know, decisions over other people, some kind of condemning, weird, you know, legalistic um, caricature uh, on a TV show of a Christian. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just living a godly life and pursuing purity and hungering and thirsting for righteousness and living in a way that's different than the world many times will bring a, even like a conviction almost to those that, are, that do life with you that are living differently than you are because your choices are different than theirs. Many times when you try to advance the gospel of peace and to press it forward at work or in your family or on your street, you'll encounter opposition. You'll even encounter hostility to it. People may even talk bad about you behind your back. See, when one is persecuted for their faith, it may feel like they're doing something wrong, but it could be that they're actually doing everything right. Think about John the Baptist, one of my favorite characters in the New Testament. John the Baptist is a guy who Jesus said is greater than anybody else born of a woman, right? So other than Jesus, there's no one greater than John according to Jesus, right? And he's kind of like the last of the Old Testament prophets. He's kind of like the door that everything swings on when you turn from Old Testament to New Testament. Here's the Messiah, Jesus. And, and, and John was Jesus' cousin, right? And, so, and he was the forerunner preparing the way for Christ. And John is imprisoned for his faith. Now, when you think of somebody going to jail, do you usually think of that being for a, a noble reason? No. And they didn't back then either, by the way. It's never been noble to go to jail. It's never been viewed that way culturally. It's usually seen as you, you've done something wrong. And many times, and probably most of the time, it is that way a lot of times. But not for John. He actually went to jail and ended up losing his head because he preached the truth and he stood up to a leader in their culture and said, that's sin, right? This guy had his brother's wife and, you know, it was a weird situation. And John just said, that's sin. I can't endorse that. In fact, you need to repent of that. You're, you're leading people and you're portraying just a horrible uh, moral standard here. And he called it out, right, in, in, in a very clear John the Baptist sort of way. And he's put in jail for it. And ultimately he's beheaded for it did John do something wrong or was John doing everything right well according to Jesus John was doing things right persecution many times is simply the response of the world to a godly life so you are blessed when you are persecuted because persecution is merely an outward sign of a negative response to a positively godly life many times listen to this 2 Timothy 3 12 this is what Paul said about persecution. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Will be, not might be, will be. 1 Peter 4.12, Peter says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Peter says, don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. Paul says, expect it. If you desire to live godly in Christ, it's going to happen from time to time. Peter comes along and says... Why are you surprised? Don't be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you. Jesus warned you. Jesus told you it's coming. Don't be shocked. Yet here we are in our nation. And if we turn on the news and we see something that seems a little anti to our faith, we act shocked. Why? Jesus said don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. But when the world rejects us, many times it's evidence that Christ has accepted. Because if you're accepted by Christ, because you've come to Him by faith, and you're in relationship with Christ, there is times where the world's literally going to want to spew you out of their mouth. There's going to, that's going to happen from time to time. And obviously, in some cultures, it's, it's more so than others right now. 
But the reality is persecution can come in many different ways. It can be physical and legal and those sort of things. Listen to Matthew 10, 16 through 23. It should be hopefully on the screen for you this morning. Matthew 10, 16 through 23. This is what Jesus warned his first followers. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. That'll give you the warm fuzzies, won't it, right? Oh, great, you know. Leave, be blessed today as you go. May the Lord's face shine upon you, you know. I'm sending you out. How we should depart today, right? Say our prayer. I'm sending you out as sheeps in the midst of wolves. That's what Jesus said. So be wise as serpent, as innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When, notice there was a purpose. You, this will happen for a reason, to bear witness. It, it was part of God's way of advancing the gospel. He uses it. He works all things together for good. He says, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death. Family conflict. The father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now, obviously, in that particular context, when Jesus is sharing that and warning them about the persecution that was soon to come, he is painting a picture of something that's got physical consequences. Prison is involved and beatings are involved and family conflict is involved. And here in Matthew 5, he even points to kind of verbal and social persecution. He says, blessed are you when they revile you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. Reviling literally means to mock. To mock. And that's kind of how persecution starts, right? It starts with mocking, with reviling, with you just smell in the nostrils of the culture. And it evolves into, over time, usually at some point, physical persecution. Uttering all kinds of evil against you falsely. Slanderous lies. The point is, by the way, what they're saying is supposed to not be true. If they're saying it and it's true, it's not persecution. The early church was accused of being all kinds of things due to their theology. Just taking the Lord's Supper, they were accused of things like cannibalism. Because people didn't understand. I mean, they were just accused of all kinds of sort of stuff. And if you swim upstream long enough from time to time, you're going to get hit right by the fish that are swimming downstream. And we don't know when, but Jesus has told us that we'll be persecuted. Paul has told us that God will be persecuted. I like the way John Popper says it. He says, it may lay dormant a while, even while you live godly, because people you're interacting with may actually be moving toward faith, or they may be moving toward persecution. And you don't really necessarily know but at some point or another, there's a break one way or the other. And it could be that many times we're just not engaging the world with our faith as we should be. We've sort of, as, as one author said, we've, we've put our light under a bushel. Even though we sang that we would not do that all through childhood, we've done it. So there's a reality of persecution. It's real. It's part of the Christian life. But we're blessed we're blessed, right? We're, we're, what God says about us and what the world says about us is, is different. But what's the reason for persecution? Because here's where, this is kind of where the rubber meets the road. If it's not 
the reason determines whether it's persecution or not. Whether it's the kind Jesus is talking about when he says you're blessed. Jesus lists two reasons. Persecuted for righteousness sake. And then on, down to verses 11 and 12, on my account. See, trials of life are not persecution. They're just trials. Everybody gets trials. It rains on the just and the unjust. Everybody gets trials. Everybody gets difficulty. Everybody gets pain. That's, we live in a fallen world. Things are broken. Being treated badly for your sin is not persecution. That's reaping what you sow. The Bible has that principle as well. So when I sin, whether it's today or whether it's 50 years ago or whether it's 10 years in the future and somewhere down the road I reap for that sin, that's not persecution. That's reaping what I sow. That's, that's picking the fruit that I planted the seed of. And that's just a part of life in this world. Being criticized or made fun of for how you voted is not persecution. No matter which side of the aisle you voted with or didn't vote or whatever. Losing your, losing your job for performing poorly is not persecution. Losing your job because of the economy is bad is not, your, is not persecution. Being treated badly for being a jerk <laughs> is not persecution. Listen, if you go to work or Thanksgiving or the neighborhood block party or get on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, and with your tone and with our style or with our attitude or with our level of harshness, we attract offense and conflict. That's not persecution. If I share the truth of God like an arrogant, condescending punk, I'm not racking up treasure in heaven. I'm actually alienating people from the gospel. I'm the problem at that point. And we all are capable of being the problem at some point in See, you're only blessed, Jesus says, if it's happening due to righteousness' sake or on the account of Jesus. Christ is the standard of righteousness. He is the righteous one. And all through the Beatitudes and throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he shows us what the righteous life looks like, right? You're showing mercy. You're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You're pure in heart. You're making peace. And he says when you're pursuing righteousness... You're living righteously like I say live and you're associated with the righteous one. These are reasons that bring persecution. So being persecuted in this matter means three basic things to me at least. It means you are persecuted because of your association with the very name of Jesus. The very reputation of Christ. That could be for the very gospel that you preach or, or say you believe. I believe Jesus is God's son. I believe Jesus has risen from the dead. I believe Jesus is Lord. I believe Jesus is God in the flesh. I believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins. All the right, basic gospel truth, the identity of Christ, who he is, what he has done. There are countries where baptism is a death sentence. There are countries that if you leave this religion and go to that religion, you're dead to the family. The verses we read earlier are still kind of at work in those countries. You're still seeing it played out. This associating with the name of Christ is one way that you can be persecuted on his account. The character of Christ. Sometimes you live out the character of Christ and you receive persecution, right? Living the life that the Beatitudes talk about living. Maybe your moral lifestyle or your lack of love for the idols of the culture brings persecution. It's, like, it's kind of like when you go in a dark room and you get a really bright mag light or whatever and you flip it on, you throw it in somebody's eyes, right? That's not a pleasant light to them. 
And they, ah, put that out, right? Reach and grab for it, right? Try to take it away from them. Just natural human instinct reaction. And there are times and there are situations where the brilliance, where the, the brightness of the Christian life lived in light of who Christ is and what he's done and the power of the Holy Spirit can just, ugh, cause some to push back. So the name of Christ, the character of Christ, and the teaching of Christ. The other way you can be persecuted on Christ's account or for righteousness' sake is to be persecuted for holding and teaching the very truth of God's Word. The Bible's Jesus' book. Jesus' book. Jesus endorsed the Old Testament as truth. Quoted from it. Considered it the Word of God. The New Testament, well, and the Old Testament too, are about Jesus. The Gospels are recording His birth, life, death, resurrection. And after that, we've got what happened in light of all that by those who followed him. This is Jesus' book. So when we talk about the teaching of Christ, I mean Genesis to Revelation because it's all about him. The book tells us it's all about him. And so if we're persecuted for teaching, for believing, and for holding to what the Bible teaches is true, that's legit persecution. See, true Christians will identify with the name of Christ. They will bear the fruit of the character of Christ and they will hold to the teaching of Christ. And all it takes is one ingredient being offensive sometimes for persecution. It's kind of like if I invited you over to my house for dinner and I said, this is the dish we're making and I started listing all the ingredients. There are certain ingredients that would just take one and you'd go, I don't want any of that, right? Now some ingredients you could, uh, uh, sometimes there could just be one Maybe it's allergy, maybe it grosses you out, whatever. And you're like, I don't want to, I'm going to be sick. I'm not going to Josh's house. <laughs> and in the same way, when you look at your life as you follow Christ and you, and, and you are under the name of Christ, you believe in the name of Christ, you hold to the, you have identified with Jesus and you're bearing the character of Christ in all the multifaceted ways that bears itself out. And you're holding to the teaching of Christ in all the ways that bears itself out. All it takes is one ingredient in some cultures and in some places for them to go, I don't want any of the dish. And the world might persecute you for a myriad of reasons. There are multiple reasons. But there's one thing that every reason, if it's true persecution, will have in common, and that is Jesus. That is Jesus. His teaching. His character. His name. In our culture today, those who believe and teach the Bible's view of certain subjects instead of the doctrine of sexual revolution that has taken place in our country, are tolerated less and less. It's not like it is in other countries, thank God. But it's being tolerated less and less. Go on television, take a biblical stance on national TV concerning marriage or gender issues. See the hate mail that you get from some, not from everybody. Be careful we don't paint with a broad brush. We don't, you don't like it when other people paint you with a broad brush. Don't paint them with a broad brush. But there are people, even now in our nation, among some of the what we would call the cultural elite, that you can't even think boys should go in a boy restroom and girls should go in a girl's restroom without being called a bigot or phobic in some way, considered unloving in some way. You say, well, Josh, it's a more complex issue than that. Well, it is and it isn't. See, it seems like every month someone in the Christian world has decided they've evolved right out of biblical teaching, Christ, Jesus' teaching. 
on sexual matters, for instance, gender matters. And the thing I want you to understand is this is, I expect this to continue. We shouldn't be surprised by it because people want to be accepted and they want to fit into whatever the cultural narrative is at the time. For one thing, that's the easiest thing. And people want that. Just like when you were in high school, you wanted to fit in. And that started way earlier than high school. And people now want to fit in to whatever the main stream of culture is going. They want that. And so they'll look for ways to try to make God's truth work and fit with it. And to the point of they will amputate part of God's truth that they need to if they can't find a way to reconstruct it. Jesus warned those of his day this in Luke 6.26, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. And that's the temptation of many in our culture, even that name the name of Christ, is they want so bad for all to speak well. But Jesus says, if you just tell everybody what they want to hear so they'll speak well of you, if you just constantly adapt and twist, and you, instead of telling them the truth, you tell them what needs to be said for them to speak well of you, you're calling the curse down upon yourself. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. That was the case with the false prophets in the Old Testament, he says. Here's the truth. If we name the name of Jesus, if we live out the character of Christ, if we hold to the teachings of Christ, persecution is bound to come. And that's the, re- that's the only legit reason for real persecution. So we have to guard our attitude, our tone, our style, our approach. We need to make sure if people stumble, it's over the gospel of Jesus and not over me. Because I am capable of being a stumbling block with my mouth and with my attitude and the way I say things. And so if I get punched in the face for slandering someone, if I get punched in the face for mocking someone, for being different or sinning differently than I do, or simply sinning in a way that's more offensive than some other sin, that doesn't make me persecuted. It makes me a jerk with a black eye. And we have to be just as willing to call out our faith family, those who name the name of Jesus, who are inviting it upon themselves as we are to look at anybody and say, this is the truth. We've got to live all truth. All truth. For to love our neighbors. We've got to love our neighbors. It's going to involve both truth and grace. And at times the truth, truth will offend, and at times it will bring persecution. But also, that's how the gospel advances, and that's how people come to faith. Thirdly, there's the response of persecution. How do we respond? What do you do if you're persecuted? If that comes into your life, what are you supposed to do? How do you respond? If you're identifying with Jesus, living like him, you're holding to the word, you're obeying the word, you're teaching the word, and you counter in legit persecution, how do you respond? Do you recant? Do you get angry? Right? Do you blog about it? What do you do? Do you tone down your faith and just... The proper response, Jesus says, is joy. He says, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. 1 Peter 4, 13 and 14. Listen to what Peter says. We read verse 12 earlier. Now look at the two verses that follow. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. The spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. 
Peter says, not only does he say, don't be surprised, he says, when it happens, rejoice. Because we can rejoice knowing the spirit of glory and of God rests upon us. Think about it. When you share your faith, when you live it out, and then you actually share the gospel, you actually share the gospel with people, there's only a few things that can happen. One is they might get saved, right? And that would be awesome. Another is they might just say, no, thank you. The other is they might say, not right now. Now, if they get saved, or they say no, or they say no, thank you. If they get saved, that's great, because you're like, wow, somebody got saved. If they say no, or they say no, thank you, you planted a seed, and they might say yes later to Jesus. So that's awesome. It's something to celebrate. The other thing that could could happen is that they could insult you or persecute you in some way, and Jesus says that that's happening. You're blessed, and the Spirit of God and glory rests upon you. So here's my point. There's nothing bad that can happen when you share your faith. In the temporary realm, the way we view things, as we hold life dearly, sure. But not when we view things from God's perspective, from an eternal perspective, from a gospel-centered perspective. There's nothing bad that can happen. The early disciples took this very seriously. In Acts 5.41, after they were persecuted, they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They considered it a great honor that they would be persecuted like their Lord was. So Jesus says, I want you to respond with joy. And he kind of gives us two tips to help us with that. First thing he says, I want you looking ahead. He says, because your reward is great in heaven. He said at the beginning, yours is the kingdom of heaven. He wants our minds heavenward. The reward for the believer is in heaven. In heaven. In this world, there's trouble, there's pain, there's suffering, there's persecution. The reward's to come. He says, your reward is great in heaven. If Jesus says the reward's going to be great, the reward's going to be great. God's a gracious, good God. He gives good things to his people. But see, here's the thing. Persecution, just like any trial, can expose the heart. It can show us what we really love and what we really treasure. If we have heart idols, if we've grown overly attached to the world and to the idols of the world, persecution will expose that because we will be willing to retreat from the mission to protect earthly treasures. And that might be my job, my very life, my friends, family, social standing. If we compromise the gospel or compromise our allegiance to Jesus, we show that our eyes are not heavenward, our heart has been ensnared by the things of the world, and you'll end up selling Jesus out for a lot less than 30 pieces of silver. And it happens every day. But see, Jesus said it shouldn't be the case for you because I'm telling you, your reward's great in heaven. I'm telling you how the story ends. See, when you, when you, you ever seen a movie, you go see a movie like a second time or you watch it at the movies and then you rent it or some old movie that you've seen a half dozen times, you watch it differently after you've seen it than when you've seen it. We watched a movie this weekend, one of those with lots of twists and you, know, trying to, you don't really understand it until like the last 10 minutes of the movie. Well, if I watch that movie again this coming weekend, I would watch it totally different because I know the ending. And so everything about it's differently, right? So you go watch Star Wars and you know how it ends, you know how certain things, happen. you watch it differently the second time, right? So you can apply that across the board. And in the same way, Jesus is saying, I'm telling you how things are going to end. The reward's going to be great in heaven. And so that shapes or should shape how we see things play out in our life because we understand where things are going. We understand how, we don't understand all the different pieces. We don't understand every step of the way, but we know the reward's going to be great in heaven. So we can live through life and even through persecution with an attitude of joy. As one writer pointed out, it's, it's the attitude of joy that he's talking about here. 
an attitude of joy and gladness. So he says you need, to, you need to be looking ahead, but you also need to look back. He says, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He said, you're in good company. There's something powerful about that. I remember when I was a kid, it seemed like maybe every kid that grew up in the 90s will probably understand this. You were told probably more than once about how Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player in the history of the world, and he is, by the way, not it's Michael Jordan, <laughs> the greatest basketball player in the history of the world was cut from his junior high basketball team. Everybody was told that story usually. And that's because, for one thing, gym teachers wanted you to think you were better at basketball than you were, right? It's kind of like, oh, maybe I'll grow up to be Michael Jordan. No, you just weren't good, right? But... But, but the point is, there's, there's something powerful about who you associate with. And you look at him and you say, well, he's successful. Look, I mean, I, he doesn't stink. He's not a loser, right? So, and and it was, there's something powerful about that. And in a different way, but in a similar way, there's something about looking back on the history of the faith and knowing, you know, if I'm persecuted, I'm pretty good company. I'm pretty good company. I'm, I'm not a loser. Not in that sense. Think about the Old Testament prophets Jesus is pointing to. Isaiah, who legend has it, was sawed in two with a wooden sword. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Godly people. They rejected and killed the prophets in the Old Testament. Heroes of the faith. The guys that we read the stories of. Since then, we think about John the Baptist that we spoke of earlier. I think of Stephen in Acts chapter 6 and 7. I think about James, the brother of John, who was martyred after Stephen in Acts. I think about the Apostle Paul, who was likely beheaded. I think about Peter, who legend has it was crucified upside down. Unless we forget, I think about the Lord Jesus Christ, the only sinless person to ever walk the planet who was nailed between two thieves. But this line began all the way back with the offspring of Adam and Eve when Abel was killed by Cain. Don't forget, Abel was killed for offering a worship offering that God accepted and Cain's was rejected. In a very real sense, it was the first act of persecution. It was the first time an ungodly person raised up a rock and hit a godly person. And that line has continued throughout time to this very day. And when we're persecuted, if we're persecuted, when we're persecuted, we are associated with the very best of God's people. Hebrews 11, 35-38 says, Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. And I love this verse. Of whom the world was not worthy wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. The Bible looks at the people that were the most persecuted in Hebrews as he reflects back on this, and he says the world just wasn't even worthy of them. So Christian, don't shrink back, don't cower in fear. If the world decides to pursue you with persecution as you pursue Christ, Christ says rejoice and be glad. Your reward in heaven is great. And they did this to the most godly people that have ever lived. And the truth is, God's very Son was crucified by sinful men. The very Son of God. The sinless one was pursued by those that hated God to try and end Him for good. You read that story in the Gospels? They wanted to do away with Jesus. They wanted to shut Him down. They wanted to shut down the whole mission. So they just, they just killed Him. 
They accused him of things, false things. They ran all kinds, of, they ran him through some trials in the dead of night. So they could end what he stood for, end who he was, to stop him, to, to, to snuff out the light, so to speak. But there was, what they didn't know is that God had a plan, right? That God had a purpose and a plan for that. And in so doing that, God's plan was just accomplished. And God's plan was that his son come and die for the sins of the world. That the sinless one die at the hands of sinful men. That on the cross he bear the very wrath of God as he takes our place and bears our sin. And the very wrath of God is poured upon him. And he endures that wrath. And three days later he rises again in victory showing that no matter what the wicked may do, they couldn't end him. And by faith in Christ, you are identified with Christ, and they can't end you either. So if you don't know Christ today, following Christ means being right with God, but many times you just need to know it also means being wrong with the world, in a sense. Many times it puts you at odds with the world. But Christ suffered and died for you, and I can promise you, He is worth coming to faith no matter the cost. And sometimes the costs are high. They're always high. But He's worth the price. And if you know Christ today, my question for us today is, are we pursuing Christ? Are we pursuing the character of Christ? Are we obeying the teachings of Christ? Are we cowering in fear? Have we put the light under a bushel? Just know if we live for Jesus and we advance his cause, two things will happen from time to time. People will come to know Christ, will bear fruit, and at the same time, persecution will happen. You'll kind of get the best and the worst, so to speak. But the worst, Paul says, you're blessed. Spirit of God, spirit of glory rests upon you. Let's pray.